0: Hello and welcome to the Gray Area, where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 32nd episode in a weekly series called Genesis of a Game. Last week's episode was a discussion with Lessa and Samus from the DDO Cocktail Hour. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story today's sunday august 28th and today i speak with juan carlos and laz from the new rpg genesis i also have tinsian here to give the perspective of an experienced gamer who can add some uh maybe new topics that i as a new RPGer, might not have so welcome to the show guys
1: thank you thanks glad to be here thank, thank you. you
0: before we get started let's do news of the week news of the week a big sigh for GameStop, which has gotten itself in trouble once again uh, by opening boxes of Deus Ex and removing the free online game code for the gaming service. The gaming service is called OnLive, for those who want to know as well, and that comes with the PC disk of the game. GameStop spokesperson Beth Sherum, confirmed the practice, saying that Square Enix packed the competitor's coupon with our DHXR product without our prior knowledge, and we did pull these coupons. Considering that GameStop has begun to offer online services to its customers, they claim that this was Square Enix's version of pushing a competitor on their customers, and in an update recently, they issued this release, quote, For your inconvenience, we would like to offer you a free $50 GameStop gift card and a buy to get one free pre-owned purchase. We want to earn back your trust and confidence in the GameStop experience. Please bring in this email to your store receipt or order confirmation from GameStop and present it to a games advisor. So what do you guys think about this? Comment on Facebook and let me know. Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine will be released for Xbox 360, PS3, and PC on September 6th. And Dragon Con will begin the 1st through 4th of September. I will be doing some interviews for you next week. I understand you guys have some tables there as well to test out the game. Will you also be attending?
2: Yes. We will. Yeah, running games and attending as well.
0: Oh, excellent. So I will maybe see you there. That would be very nice.
1: Definitely. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person.
0: Yes. Also, as part of our News of the Week, I am premiering a new segment by our friend and expert in all geeky stuff, Joshua Allen Clarence Octavian Roberts, who is going to do Tech Talk for us today. So let's hear from you, Josh.
3: Welcome to Tech Talk, a segment on the Gray Area Podcast. This is Alan, your segment host. Before I get started, I'd like to thank my superb friend, host, director, producer, executive producer, Jedi Knight. Yes, folks, she is this talented. Trust me on this one. Sound editor, United States senator, graphics designer, and our janitor, among of all things, Genesee Gray, for allowing me to be here on her wonderful podcast. This week, we will be talking about Ubisoft's latest troubles regarding their newest release, From Dust, and a few other tech updates of the week. Okay, let's go start with our fact of the week. Fact of the week. Did you know that the United States Treasury Department has several full-time employees that play CCP's EVE Online and use that information to help predict where the U.S. economy is headed in the coming months? Tech talk and news of the week. Ubisoft has once again got itself into the controversy with the gaming community this past week. The story is that Ubisoft officially stated that they would not put a persistent online connection requirement to play the PC port of one of their newest releases, From Dust, in the final release of the game. Originally, Ubisoft stated on its official forms that a one-time registration check over the internet was required to play the game. However, Ubisoft delayed the release of the game at the last minute and silently put the always-on requirement back into the game without telling any of its customers, also while blocking any inquiry into why this was done. Here are other controversies surrounding the PC port of From Dust. The game was cracked very shortly after release and completely removed the always-online requirement put in place by Ubisoft. Ubisoft giving mixed signals regarding refunds to its customers that bought From Dust, and accusations in the PC gaming community that the PC port of From Dust was a very poor one at best and faces many technical issues. And here are the other things that happened in tech this past week. Steve Jobs designing as CEO of Apple and being replaced by his successor, Tim Cook. Microsoft opening a Windows 8 engineering blog discussing Windows 8's compatibility with USB 3 at launch and updating of file management APIs. And finally, more has been revealed about the attack that hit the security company RSA this past March, including the embarrassing bit about the breach being caused by a phishing email containing an Excel document which had an Adobe Flash exploit embedded within. And it looks like my time is up for Tech Talk this week. This is Alan, your segment host for Tech Talk. Once again, I'd like to thank my superb friend Janice Gray for all her work and effort she's put into this podcast, The Gray Area.
0: And a big thank you to Josh for Tech Talk. This will be a two-part episode. The second part will occur at Dragon Con while I'll be interviewing players during a live game and seeing you guys and seeing how they roll quite literally. So for our first part, (laughs) let's meet the designers and talk about the mechanics of the game. Uh, I'm very excited to be able to premiere this on the show. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch the game progress over time as well. So let's talk about your news of the week. What's new in your world? Um, Let's start with Juan
2: well um, we've got a bunch of things going on in the website our newsletter is actually picking up uh, su- you know substantial amounts of subscriptions and we're putting out exclusive content on Twitter and on our newsletter so if you follow either of those or both of those you'll get content as far as uh, breaking news of the week our fate decks have been finalized all the artwork is done and that's being handled by Dennis Calero who's an artist for Marvel and we, we have all the artwork in and we're ready to send that out to the printers so we should have that back soon
0: Excellent news. How about you, Carlos Serraz?
2: Well, so um, just picking up where um,
1: Juan left off, we also completed the uh, the manuscript of, of our book. It's a, it's been in layout for about uh, two weeks, and we're reviewing um, different types of layouts. Uh, that's being done also by Dennis Calero and some of um, his uh, partners, and uh, we're looking forward to have that done. Um, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, um, it's. Undergoing through pagination on the whole works, and um, we hope to be able to release everything towards the end of September, beginning of October, uh, along with the uh, with the fake cards.
0: How about you, Les?
1: Well, um, I'm actually uh,
4: very excited. I should be getting uh, the first draft for three adventures that we're calling Grab and Play from uh, author Rob Box. Um, you know, this week, so I can start uh, working with him on editing it and getting it ready for everybody.
0: First, let's introduce who you are and your contributions to the game, I guess. Uh, Carlos and Laz, I was reading that you're both game designers and writers for this, so tell me about that a little bit.
1: So, um, I've been uh, pretty much playing role-playing games for the last 30 years. Um, all three of us, if I can still a little thunder, are childhood friends, and uh, we founded Fable Streams Entertainment uh, in September of 2010, last year after uh, visiting G- Con and and having some game experience and looking around and and realizing that we had been in the industry um, as observers and players for 30 years um, yet somehow never managed to join in. Um, You know, a lot of our designs have been basically for ourselves and for our groups um, writing stories, developing that sort of thing. Um, And I'm a project manager for a um, very large software company I've uh, been doing that for uh, about ten years, and so we decided that we could basically join together and use our experiences in in the business world to sort of create a brand new role-playing game, um, to to um, meet some needs that weren't that we felt weren't being met in the uh, in the industry. Um, so, ten years' experience in in as a senior project manager for a large software uh, service company. Um, and just basically as a player for the last 30 years, uh, writing and developing just for our own use.
0: I'm definitely going to ask you more about that in a little while, but okay. let's go to Laz
4: here. Yeah, um, well, pretty much the same, a 30-year uh, gamer, kind of like a lifer, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my life, what I breathe, you know, what I wake up to every morning. Um, that and my my wife and kids, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Add
0: that in there, Safe. you're safe Add now. Of course, okay, I got that covered.
4: Um yeah, basically after last year's Gen Con, you know, we, we really thought about it and said, you know, we, we've got to get into this industry. You know, what we saw was, you know, we've been playing this, these games for 30 years. And really what we need in the market is something that takes care of those two um, big issues when it comes to role playing specifically. And that's time and commitment. And so that's really what we've worked into Genesis as a game is to try to mitigate those two issues. You know, uh, both Mm. with our rules and with our mythology.
0: Okay, that's some questions I have later on as well that maybe I can get you to expand on a little bit. Um, Let's move to one. You're the editor on this, and I would venture probably PR person as well, since you're pretty active planning the alpha testers, as I understand, and we've emailed at least 20 times back and forth.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: So do you fly yeah. your plane out to pick everybody up to get together since you're so far away from each
2: other? Uh, uh No, not, we're not there yet, but we hope to be one day. No. Um, Actually, the three of us pretty much edit and, and go back and forth, and um, Carlos and Laz are, are more on the creative side, and I'm more on the promotional side, and understand the three of us, our roles you know, interweave constantly but um, if you wanted to generalize that that would be it so I basically manage the website and I run the the social networking aspect and the getting the word out and, and all those things um, but for my day job I'm a researcher at a major university I, I specialize in robotics research so I kind of tend to bring the logic and the the rational the rational thinking sometimes to the to the table um, <laughs> okay. And and yeah and so you know again we all have different roles but my primary focus is is promoting Genesis and getting the word out and getting new users and recently it's been getting alpha testers and we've got we've gotten back some really good um, you know applications for people to alpha test the game and our alpha testers are doing a wonderful job and they really represent all facets of gaming.
0: Well, Juan, I think you need to make a robotic arm that feeds you fake cards because <laughs> that would be completely awesome.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that I'll should put it be put in the it box. It. Yes.
0: <laughs> How did you guys meet? Well... Let's go, Carlos, because I've always started.
1: Very good. Well, it, it's it's actually... Um, Juan and I um, met when we were uh, in junior high school, actually in elementary school. Wow. Um, so our, our histories date back... Um, longer than, than I want to admit. Um, <laughs> we, we basically, um, we, we sort of got, we lost contact with each other. Um, uh, when we both went to high school and thanks to Facebook a couple of years ago, we, we sort of came back and, and reunited and, and it was kind of like, uh, we had never, uh, parted for, for 20 years. Um, uh, Juan and I both share the same birth date <laughs> cool. and the same birth year. So, uh, he's kind of, a uh, um, my, uh, my twin brother. Laz is my, um, my, uh, Fraternal twin brother. Him and I, we met uh, in high school, um, basically playing role-playing games. Um, we sort of are, um, you know, we became very good friends. We our friendships lasted for years. Played tons of games, and then um, after I got married, we sort of lost contact with each other. And around the same time that I hooked up back with Juan, um, you know, found him on Facebook and 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 began this uh, this process. Um, as I mentioned before, I originally lived in, in Miami. All three of us are from or lived there uh, during our childhood. And I moved to Indiana uh, four years ago. And I realized that that was um, where Gen Con was. So <laughs> after I got together with Laz, I drafted him. And he's been coming to Gen Con for the last uh, three years with me. And, and last year is when kind of our light bulbs uh, went off after my kid had a, uh, an out-of-body experience playing a role-playing game. And we said, there has to be something here that we want to. That we want to nurture and grow, and um, and and Juan uh, came to GenCon this time around for the first time, and um, we're all going to Dragon Con together again to promote the game and the company.
0: Nice. So, Laz, Juan, do you have any uh, comments about that as well?
4: Uh, just you know, uh, God bless Facebook. I found uh, <laughs> I found both Carlos and Dennis, you know, uh, on there uh, almost at the same time. Right? Dennis first, and then Carlos. I mean, it was it's a great uh, great thing.
0: Excellent. So, Juan, let's move to you. What other RPGs do you play, and when did you start playing them?
2: Oh, wow. Well, we can go all the way back to the white box from Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I can't say I've played every RPG, but I've played a substantial amount of RPGs. Everything from, you know, every iteration of D&D, a little bit of Shadowrun, uh, some of the Warhammer fantasy stuff, Warhammer Role Playing. Um, you know, Star Frontiers, Gamma World—I'm really dating myself now, right? Um, the Star Wars role-playing game. So, I mean, every ma- i can say every major release that's ever that's ever come out, I've I've either played or game mastered.
5: God bless the mutant penguins. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Laz, how about you?
4: Oh boy, um, yeah. I have to say, I kind of mirror that. I've—you uh, know—it's funny. The other day, I was thinking, I was trying to. Number them. I thought. I thought. You know. Do it. Does it reach past a <laughs> hundred? I was thinking. Maybe it does. Yeah. I mean. It's Wait.
1: The- Last. Let me interrupt you for a second because I gotta. I gotta plug this. Laz is a walking rules encyclopedia. <laughs> there. When we were designing the game, there was not a thing that I brought up and that, that I. Said, well, how about if we use this game mechanic, last? How do you think that would work? And he goes, "Well, this is how such and such does it. I mean, games that you've never heard about that that you know in the you know small indie games that 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 are that are obscure that you know very few people know. Blas know. so he's kind of my walking encyclopedia of rules.
4: I know it's a sickness. What can I tell you? <laughs> but yep, uh, just everything. You know, Call of Cthulhu, um, Alternate. You just you name it, I have played it. Nice. Probably.
0: <laughs> Carlos, would you like to jump in as well?
1: Yeah, but more recently, um we we um we played Pathfinder um after after four E came out. We played four E for about two and a half years, um, before switching pretty much exclusively to, to Pathfinder, then discovered Savage Worlds, played that. Um, you know, prior to that, which one of the reasons why why we created Fable Streams and Genesis overall, um, is is that we we found that that um, you know with the advent of 4e a lot of folks were willing to try newer uh, and different games that perhaps they hadn't tried before. At least that was very much the story for me. I, I was very monogamous in my play style. Um, I, I played almost exclusively. I played DnD almost exclusively. Pretty much every version since since nine. Not- not as far back as the, as the White Box, but the Red Box. And, um, you know, tried a couple of other games, whether it was Champions, whether it was um, uh, um, played, you know, like one game of Shadowrun, played like one game of Car Wars, um, which I don't remember, but last tells me I played. But pretty much it was all Dungeons and Dragons. It was a, a huge fantasy um role-playing fan. So I, that, that was kind of my, my, my story. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, um, when I hooked up back with last we we started playing different genres uh, beyond fantasy. And, and I really enjoyed playing um, you know, pulp and science fiction and, and sort of started branching out that way.
0: Moving into that, uh, what other types of games do you play and do you play them together? Do you play like any MMOs or online things, other things that interest you game-wise?
4: Well, unfortunately, um, or I don't know. I guess fortunately, my friends has my friends have uh, have made me swear I will never play an MMORPG. <laughs> they, they claim if I do, I will get divorced. My I will no longer recognize my children, and my life will be over. <laughs> so, so I've never played one.
0: <laughs> if you enjoy the minutia of the rules and the specific things like that, that might be true. You you may become absorbed and never be seen again. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Um I have played uh you know video games like the Wii with my family or PlayStation, you know, things like that. Um and board games. Uh one of my favorites is uh Talisman by Fantasy Flight Games. Just an excellent game. Um you know, so yeah, board
2: games, some video games.
0: Okay. How about you, Juan?
2: Well, it's funny because uh my background is in engineering. I went, when I went to undergrad, that's what I majored in and I learned how to program and, and code. And so that naturally led to computer and console gaming and I really got into the RPGs and the JRPGs um, primarily in the PS2 that was kinda like the golden age for me and what's funny is that they're called role-playing games but they really aren't true role-playing games compared to the pencil and paper and the interesting thing is that um, there's a whole generation now out there that's never really played a pencil and paper role-playing game and in a way we think that Genesis really appeals to those people because it's very streamlined it's very fast and it's a different experience Um, you know we've all played a game where you walk to to a certain area on a map and you can't go any farther there's a boundary there because of the limitations of the program role-playing games don't have that traditional ones and that's kind of what we're trying to introduce um, to everyone about you know with Genesis so yeah, I, I kind of got away from the traditional role-playing games for a while and did the computer stuff and, and console stuff, but you know now working on Genesis and just seeing the reactions of people that have never played in our playtests, that have never played a role-playing game, just how much they enjoyed and like it, there's really something to be said about that.
0: Expound on the uh, the point that you're saying a lot of people haven't played real role-playing games because of the online aspect where you're saying like the world is basically limited to what's created. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, um, first of all, I don't want to like insult people and call them real role playing games. I, I prefer to just use traditional role playing games and and you know contemporary ones, which are like like Final Fantasy or you know things of that nature. Okay. Um, so what I mean by the limitations, like let's say you're playing Morrowind, um, you know, and you're on this continent, and you you can. It's really an open ended game. It's a great game, um, but there comes a point where you you know the the map is only a certain size, and when you reach the edge of that map. Your character is just kind of walking in place. There's nothing you can do about that. Whereas in a traditional uh, role-playing game, the game master will say, "Okay, so you want to go here and cross the ocean? Sure, you know, let's do that." And and your party goes and does that. So there aren't any uh any limitations. The limitations is the parties and the game master's imagination.
0: I want to just finish talking about the games he plays. Um, I don't believe you had a chance to say anything about that yet, Carlos. Did you?
1: Uh, no, not yet. Okay. And I I play um. Uh, console games. I mean, um, from many different genres. I mean, I play fantasy. The Last things I've been playing is Dragon Age and Dragon Age 2. Um, play some shooters uh, with my with my 10 uh, year old son, like Call of Duty, Black Ops. Um, don't I don't really play online. Um, I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm I'm getting a little older and my reflexes are not as good, so I don't like to get killed um, all that often. <laughs> so I tend to play either with my kid or or just um you know, just play the, the, uh, the regular adventures. Um, but you know, whole wide range of games from, you know, like Lego Batman to, uh, to, to, uh, Assassin's Creed. I've been a big Assassin's Creed fan. Um, so I played mainly on the PS3, don't have an Xbox. Um, and we have a Wii, but that's pretty much the, uh, the realm, my wife's realm. Um, um, <laughs> so so that's kind of uh... that's kind of what i play um... I used to play a lot of uh... pc games but i haven't done that in in a long time just migrated to to uh... straight consoles Um we do play online using uh... software like fantasy grounds too though after we founded the company we haven't had a uh... uh... A big opportunity for all of us to play and and um... we we also have a whole bunch of other high school friends that that still uh... play traditional role-playing games and would we, uh, we used to play uh, pretty much every week, but we haven't done so in the last few months. Um, using uh, map tools as well is what we started on D20 Pro. So we, we, we've been venturing into different type of virtual tabletop programs so that we can uh, sort of game together. Recently, we've been gaming at stores, um, sort of trying to um, continue the, the convention uh, um, high from Gen Con from last year. Um, and we, when we occasionally get together um, in, in one of our hometowns, we'll also get together and, and, uh, and play. And we've, we've played a, a variety of things from Dungeons and Dragons 4th, um, 4E um, to Shadow, um, not Shadowrun, but um, Savage Worlds. Um, so those are basically the two games that we have been playing um, kind of face to face or virtually.
0: Uh, I was wondering if you guys had anything that you did together. It seems like that's the tie that keeps a lot of friends. Uh, have the, they? They kind of have that common game that they all play, and that keeps them, you know, current in each other's lives. So since you're all spread out across the country so far, I wondered, I wondered how you maintained contact.
1: It, it's funny, you know. Lass's comment about, uh, you know, I never got into the world of Warcraft, though. I've had, um, I've had a couple of very good friends that have gotten hooked into it, and I, and I. Um, I've seen them kind of get drawn in and sucked into that world. And I, I, um, I, I just, um, I don't want to, I don't want to do it <laughs> we will get hooked, we'll get hooked on it and we can't afford to do it while building a company and, and, uh, and trying to, uh, you know, maintain our families. That's, that's, uh, MMO RPGs is something that I haven't really gotten to because of the, uh, I guess the real time commitment that's involved. And I think that's one of the things that when we looked at, at creating Genesis, um, and I think uh, both Juan and, and Laz have touched on this, is that, um, you know, the average age of gamers right now, it's kind of our age. They're in the 30-somethings to 40-somethings um, age category. And folks like us have real lives and have real um, real jobs and, and other responsibilities that keep us from gaming um, as much as we want to game. And so, um, you know, the traditional, both the traditional RPGs out there uh, require a lot of time uh, and commitment from, from folks. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen the industry, um, you know, decline over, over the last several years. And what we're really trying to do is fill, fill that need, um, with a game that's fast and easy to play and doesn't require a lot of, um, a lot of prep time and a lot of thought and that you can easily play with, with your young kids if that's what you want to do. And, um, probably expanding on your question a little bit, but, you know, when we went uh, with my son to uh, Gen Con a couple of years ago, um, I had been trying to get him into role-playing games for a long time, and he just wasn't clicking, right, being a video game um, kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we started playing um, Savage Worlds, uh, which is, you know, kind of a a universal, fast-paced game, um, and he really got into it, um, we realized that that was really... Um, the key to generating a, a new, a, a new, faster um, and better game, if you will, than than what's out there—something that appeals to kids, that's not as complex, but still carries the flavor and enough of the character generating rules um, that that will get players interested, um, you know, in in playing our game.
0: I think that's something we should talk about now, maybe. Um, for me, who's and probably my listeners, the majority of which are kind of from the PC console, you know, MMORPG world. Um, I'm a big World of Warcraft player and, and definitely have had years where I've been sucked in and had to kind of pull myself back and get perspective. Um, we're sort of used to a more fast paced game. You know, it's you spend three hours in a dungeon. It's completed. <laughs> and right. when right. I've gotten into Dungeons and Dragons in the past year or two, um, it's a definitely different game. Uh, For RPGs, for me, the difference is you kind of have a more maybe intimate experience because you have the people and it's all in in your head. So you have sort sort of a different group dynamic that builds that kind of brings you closer together than per se the raid in World of Warcraft that it's a little bit removed from you by a step. For those who are new to the RPG, what would you say is a reason to begin playing them versus your traditional PC or console game? Um, Last, you well, want
1: to take that, or Juan, okay. or you want me to? <laughs>
2: Juan,
1: take it. <laughs> okay, everyone, went silent? All right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Carlos.
1: Okay, so so for me, I think you know, as I think of of um, you know these games who've been playing for thirty years, I I think of it that as, as the original social networking uh, game, except that now um, you know it used to be that we had to sit on a table across from each other to to interact and 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 play these types of social network games in, in the modern era, if you will, um, you can now do it over Facebook or you can do it over, over um, using technologies um, that expand um, you know, your living room or your dining room, right? Um, so the experience that I think you get from a role-playing game that you don't get per se in an MMORPG is that, as you said, is the social networking aspect of it, is, is the fact that it's um, what you do and how you act Uh, is only limited by your own imagination. Now, there are some pen and paper games uh, out there that the rules sort of limit you uh, inherently as to what you can do. But one of the things that we've tried to do with Genesis is to um, basically allow the rules to get out of the way um, so that it really – we want you to – feel like you are playing in a movie, that you are playing in a video game, that you get that fast experience, um, but you also get that – that um, a different experience by rolling dice and also by using your own uh, imagination um, to do virtually anything that you want to do. Uh, the rules don't yeah. stop you from it.
4: And Go we kind of created a uh... – Kind of like a mythology, a whole story that unites it as a, you know, like in other words, it's a universal role-playing game, but not just because the rules allow you to do cross-genre and whatever you want to do with it, uh, but also the mythology allows it to mitigate that whole commitment thing, you know, where let's say, um, you know, we have five people playing in a game, Dungeon Master's sick, no game. Uh, you know, we have, uh, let's say the whole game revolves around one character's particular story. He's not able to play. He's picking up a friend from the airport. Whatever, <laughs> you know, no game. Uh, so we wanted to kind of mitigate that a bit. You know, with uh, not only having universal rules but a universal mythology. You know, that can fit into any framework. So whoever shows up, let's play. You know, we only have an hour and a half. Let's play. You know, so it's just the three of us, and we have an hour and a half or two hours. Let's play. You know that that whole time and commitment thing, you know, which is a big advantage to board games, collectible card games, video games, you know, MMORPGs. I would think,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. also, um, but that's it, what we wanted to bring
4: into that more traditional role-playing,
1: you know, uh, game experience. But even even with MMORPGs, right? You, it's just it's as you mentioned, it's just a different um, style of game, and I think there's there's room for both, and I think. Folks that, that enjoy one type of game will enjoy the other for different reasons. Um, RPGs are, are, can be, uh, like I mentioned, kind of uh, more of a social networking aspect um, than, than, than traditional video games. But at the same time, they allow you to not have, not have any, any limits. Um, when you play MMORPGs... Uh, the experience is different. It's faster. It's more reflex based. It's more uh, coordination based. And um, RPGs tend to be more strategic thinking, right? Um, mm-hmm. And also kind of exploring different elements of your character and really creating. So there's almost a an actor um, or or actress type of of feel to them um, than than you get from from an RPG online, when you when you play an RPG, whether let's say it's uh, um, Final Fantasy, right? The choices that you make, or even Dragon uh, Dragon Age, the fantasy, the 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 choices that you make are have already made been made for you. You choose, you know, among three different um, answers that you want, and sometimes they may they may have an effect or they may not. I in see. an RPG game, traditionally, you basically do whatever you want.
0: Uh, Juan, can you expand on on what they're saying in that? Any particular character doesn't have to be present for a game to continue, or a story isn't revolving around that particular character. Um, for, for me, I kind of want a basic idea in general terms of gameplay before we get into the specifics, because I read through about 200 pages, I confess, of the 300-page wow. document, and it seems like it's something that someone must really experience to understand maybe how to play it. Uh, physically, you have to do it. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you're reading the 300-page document, and that's basically the be-all, end-all, everything that someone would need to know to run a game. To play a game, uh, we ran these games at Gen Con, and within 10 minutes, we had people understanding the rules and how to play and playing. Um, So it's a very fast system to pick up and play. Um, Of course, the game master, you know, has to know the whole system, but to explain it and to start playing it is is really, really quick. Um, And so the idea of characters being there and not being there and the game still running. There's two things about that. Number one, it's a universal Genesis is a universal rule system game, which means that once you make your character, you can run that character in a high fantasy adventures with wizards and, and dragons and all this stuff. And the next week, you can take that same exact character sheet, and you can be in a sci-fi space opera without modifying anything to the character's statistics or abilities or attributes. So the the characters are very plug and play in any environment in any setting that you can imagine. Um, so that's very advantageous because you don't have to sit there and, and look up all these tables and charts. And now I got to convert my character to a sci-fi setting or or fantasy or whatever. We'll um,
1: play a different game system altogether, right? With new right. rules and and different character generation rules.
5: Right. That, yeah. that, that actually brought me into a question or a clarification regarding you talking about the speed of your rule set versus a traditional RPG. For me, one of the fastest RPG rule sets out there that I can re- recall playing is from Paranoia. And for those who haven't played, you basically roll up a clone, you're assigned a color, and then mayhap ensues, and you've got clones, and you do something, and you know you keep winding up with clones. When I was reading through this document um, today, it seemed to be a bridge of the universal system from a bunch of different games, say maybe one that's fairly complex, such as a World of Darkness, sometimes you get sort of lost in your dice rules, to the more easily understandable Dungeons & Dragons rule set, some of the, some of the older ones, um, like the old Red Box, some would argue the two, second edition, some would say completely forget the 4th edition and go to Pathfinder but having speed in terms of being able to use it as a character generation and so forth that was that was pretty interesting that really kind of clarified up
2: Um, yeah I mean just getting into the mechanics real quick everything all the resolution um, occurs with six-sided dice so you it's just a matter of how many six-sided dice you need to roll to do something those are based on your abilities so if your character has a melee of four that means you roll four six-sided dice to resolve any melee attack that you might be doing Um, and it it streams like in the sense that there's no tables to look up there's nothing to memorize it's just I need I need to roll this many dice and I need to have this many successes and my action is successful Um, so that's kind of like the, the speed aspect of, of the actual rules. And go, going down that path just a little bit real quick, one of the very first games that we ran, we ran at a local gaming store here in Miami. And there was another group of gamers playing a, a totally different game. And, and a couple of them actually came over and saw us playing running Genesis. And they said, you guys aren't using any tables or books. You're just running this game. And, and and that was like very telling for us because it's like okay yeah this is this is streamlined and, and people are getting in and it is fast, um, but that doesn't mean it's not uh, you know fast doesn't equal simple I mean it, there's a lot of depth to it there's a lot of strategy behind it, but it does it doesn't get bogged down with cross referencing and, and table lookup and things like that which um, traditionally has been one of the you know bottlenecks for for p- uh, pencil and paper role playing games
0: okay.
1: No, I one what, what of the if I if I can.
0: Go ahead, Carlos. Sorry, the
1: No, I, I was things. just going to say real quick. I'm sorry that I'm stepping over you. It's probably the lag. Is that um, you know picking up on that observation? What we really tried to do was was kind of have you know have our cake and eat it too. We we if there is complexity in our game is in the character generation and the richness that that. Of, of the rules to create characters. Um, we didn't want to abandon that because I think that's one of the real strengths behind any role-playing game and, and, and being a universal game, um, we wanted to make the character generation aspect of it um, fairly rich and all-encompassing. Um, yet, the mechanics of the game and how you actually play um, are very simple and, and, and straightforward. Um, and you can add some complexity in the combat with combat uh, maneuvers, for example, but um, you don't really have to, and that's where um, you know. To your point, Genesee, if um, you know, you can literally play this game, learn how to play it in 10 minutes. Uh, if you read the whole 300-page document, um, being brand new to role-playing games. Uh, it might be a little bit more difficult, and I think that's true of any role-playing game. Um Usually, we all learned from our friends, right? They taught us, and then we looked up the rules in more detail later on. But the 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 real crux of it, and one of our one of the things that we mention in the book is, hey, if you don't want to create characters, don't. We're going to supply characters for you. Learn how to play the game without um, building any characters, because that's really where the complexity is. Um okay. And I think you you'll find that you'll play the game relatively fast and and then go back and make characters.
0: See, that's good, because I'm used to the upkeep phase, the, the turning phase, <laughs> Magic the Gathering, you know, or right. D&D movement, action, minor phase. You know, this is this is what I'm used to dealing with. So that's good. I like that. Okay, I know Tinsian has a question here. Um, before we get into that, I'd like to take a break for a segment from Skaggy the Poet from DDO Cocktail Hour. So as they say, now for something completely different. Uh, Last week on the episode with the GDO Cocktail Hour, I mentioned casually that I never realized how dirty Skaggy the Poet is until they read one of his tweets on the show. I confess I've searched and I don't remember the episode that this occurred in, so I have no proof that Lessa did indeed quote Skaggy on the show. However, I do believe I can perhaps pick up the gauntlet thrown by Skaggy, who is intent on saving his honor. Uh but denies that he is anything but a gentleman. So let's listen to his segment, and then we'll see if I can salvage anything from my thoughtless comment.
6: Dear Genesee, if that is your real name, I, Skaggy the Poet, am writing to you, well, actually speaking to you, about your description of me, or more accurately, my tweets on your last episode of The Grey Area. Just to jog your memory, here is a clip of the aforementioned incident.
0: I also wanted to uh-huh. tell you, I did not realise how dirty Skaggy the Poet was until you started reading his tweets on your show. I have, <laughs> I have lost all respect Gaggy for Skaggy is- the Poet. Seriously? No. Oh I'm I'm my kidding. god, his voice is like velvet. It's
4: like. <laughs> It's kind of
2: oh my God.
6: Oh. <laughs> I would just like to state for the record My Twitter feed contains no dirty tweets And anything I say or do is always of a squeaky clean nature I would like to offer the following poem That I hope will clear this matter up once and for all <coughs> Throughout my many years playing games I've always considered myself a gentleman gamer And to be tarred with any suggestion of being dirty Was enough to make me write this disclaimer For example, when I used to play Tomb Raider I never ever tried to find the alleged code That supposedly would enable me To see Lara without any clothes Also, while adventuring in the Dragon Age I'll admit that I did woo Morrigan But I'd never spent a night in her tent. Why? Well, because I'm a true gentleman. I've had a fair few gaming triumphs, and successfully rescued many a princess. But I never once sweet-talked them into any state of undress. So there you have my rebuttal of your slanderous remark about me. You see, my poetry and tweets are like my underpants. All are always scrupulously clean. Thank you.
0: That was a lovely segment, Skaggy. Uh, And I have something to return to you, since you shared so nicely with me. Uh, A poem that I have discovered online by Skaggy the Poet. And I will read it to you now. It's called, the title is, Sex Sells and I'm Gonna Buy Till I'm Blind by Skaggy partly based on a true story. With your t-shirt just so rightly tight, and its logo conveniently at chest height, you approach me with a flirty smile, and instantly I am beguiled. Apparently you're collecting for some charity, not that your words to me have clarity, as I'm busy drowning in your eyes, and also imagining licking your thighs. So I don't notice signing the direct debit, although on payday I might regret it, but it was worth it for our brief chat and my hours of pleasant thoughts after that. That was an interesting poem, Skaggy. And since I so cruelly used yours against you, I have one to return to you that might make you feel better. And it goes like this, Skaggy, if you should find yourself chewing an orbits, empty out all your regret, for language is expression, enjoy the whole gambit. So there you go a segment from Skeggy the Poet from the DDO cocktail hour. I thank him very much for, for contributing and hopefully I have soothed his hurt feelings. And now we will move on. I believe Tinzin has a question for our
5: guests. So guys, I'm going to toss in a question here in that, um, one of my friends that I, I work with, he has a weekly game that he goes to and the DM is similar to me and my friends that I grew up playing with where the story is what matters. The rule mm-hmm. sets, you know, you can kind of bend the rules every once in a while, you play a little Monty Hall, sometimes you don't, but he comes from a game and, and he literally cannot sit still on game day because he knows that he is going to go and have such an adventure that the next time he sees me and we may be sitting over at his house having a cigar and a drink, And he's going to start telling me the story of the game. He's not going to tell me the roles, but he is going to lay out this just epic enjoyment of how much fun that he had. And do you think that in the way that you're using your open rule set and the way that you're going to have these um, open worlds and so forth... Are you attempting to appeal to bring the sort of um, experience to new players? Or are you attempting to at the same time balance out for the people that are in um, a heavy rule set kind of
1: mode? Right. I, I got gotcha. it. you want to yeah. take that?
4: Yeah, we're actually uh, – we want to appeal to both. You know, our, uh, We feel our system and uh, you know, both the system and the mythology are universal. And we believe that with that combination, you can do both. You know, if you want to have quick episodic games, go for it. You know, if you want to have more of a Sandlot type campaign, go for it. You know, if you want to have a uh, long, expansive, you know, story arcing, you know, campaign, go for it. You know, I mean, you can do really do it all. You know, with our game system, with Genesis.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: If if I can expand on that real quick, yeah. um, you know, for us when we were creating the game, it was very, very important for us us um, to be able to play the game and come away from it and be able to describe everything that happened as if you had just seen a very good movie. right? Um, the rules for us had to be um, invisible. right? They were just going to help you and just help you define what happened. And they had to be easy enough that um, you could learn how to play the game relatively fast and not have to look up anything on a table. That was one of our principles. And um you know we have tables in the game but you use them basically to build your character but predominantly once you play you don't use tables um everything that you need the mechanics are so simple that they get out of the way and and you know your your friend is kind of the 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 idea that we had and i think that that really applies to people that never have played who are are more used to video games and those that used to play a long time ago that 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 remember their the role playing games as stories rather than than worrying about the mechanics and and that was something that was uh, paramount in in our design process. One I think I interrupted you.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. I was just going to I was going to expand on the question you were asking about, you know, the the involved story. So, there's been I mean, we're not the first universal role playing game out there, but what I think we've what we've done is aside from streamlining the rules, we've also created a reason for the universal, universal um, setting, so there's an underlying mythos that we've developed, um, where there are actual beings called fates who kind of can go in and out of different genres and different universes and travel within the multiverse, and the player characters um, assume those roles and become. Fates and the fates belong to one of nine houses, which are basically nine factions that sometimes work together, sometimes they oppose each other, and there's underlying stories. So, by doing that, we can explain why you know this knight needs to battle this um, vampire and defeat him, and this uh, you know, sci fi pilot needs to destroy this starship. And both of those characters are working for the same house, which have the same goal, but they just overarch into different realms. So, I think a lot of uh, you know, game masters are going to really grab onto that and and really write and expand that universe and that setting in the multiverse. And and yeah, really, fact... the reason
1: the reason why we did that is again exploring the time and commitment thing. Um, you know, one of the one of the drawbacks to a lot of universal game systems is that you have to, as a GM, create everything from scratch because they are so versatile um, that the support behind them sometimes is not is not very very strong. So you basically have to create a lot of of your content yourself. What we try to do again addressing that time and commitment issue is provide you a setting, um, and a and a reason for you to 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 play a, a multi genre game and provide you the support so that you can basically pick up and play without any Um, without much preparation at the same time if you want to do it the old-fashioned way and create all your content and create your own campaign and not even pay attention to the genesis multiverse you can do that as well there's nothing that prevents you from doing it Um, but we felt that you know again addressing the time and commitment um, deal which is really aiming at not only the traditional players the ones that continue to play the game but also the ones that have left um, to bring them back into into RPG.
0: I definitely yeah, to, like. And, Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was gonna say, um, and to like give
4: an example uh, for your friend who wants like a, I'm assuming like a long campaign with a fully drawn out story that you know, is very detailed. Um, like w- one aspect of Genesis, for example, is the players play fates. You know, from these nine houses, um, but before they are even aware that they're a fate, you know, we call them the lost and basically they can be in one genre, let's say a fantasy world, and uh, to all outward appearances, it would be like a regular, you know, let's say fantasy game. (laughs) And you can have this nice big complex story and it's really cool. And, uh, you know, one idea could be that the party goes off on an epic challenge and they end up, you know, saving the world, but they all die. Now, normally uh, in a regular game, that might just be the end of it all. Uh, But with Genesis, they could awaken, you know, as fates in sanctuary, you know, the city where they live outside of creation. And then from there, take on all new adventures and you know, become a whole new team in a different genre if they want to, as an example.
5: That awesome. sounds really cool. He's, he's doing a uh, Pathfinder-Star
4: Wars uh, split right now.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I
5: think
4: that has Genesis written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that this yeah, can be love- anything
0: from kind of a primitive barbarian fantasy to steampunk to space tech. And I think I was reading about the Dragon Con games you were going to run, one was... An Iranian commando infiltration, a journey into foreign lands to stop an evil cult, and a wizard's team investigating an ancient tomb. So it seems like there are a lot of things you can do with the system. I would like to move to Laz to talk a little bit more about the fates that you were talking about. And I assume that the fate deck relates to this in some way. That's kind of the the innovative part, it seems to me, to this game. That that's, I haven't seen anything like that before. Can you kind of talk about the fate deck and how it works?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um... Yeah, the, the, the characters are basically destined, you know, for greatness, <laughs> you know, like right off the bat. Um, you know, basically in any, in any story, you know, you usually don't get uh, a story about the uh, secondhand cook over in that little diner <laughs> over there, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, typically, you know. You have that's his flaw. He's a loser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. Um, you know, typically we're, we're talking about people of consequence, you know, uh, people, of, you know, with a destiny. And, uh, and that's the idea behind it. um, We have a mythology, you know, basically the uh, characters are fates, uh, they're not aware that they're fates, you know, so you can play for as long as you want in that uh, ignorance, let's say, um, in whatever particular genre you enjoy, and then at some point, when they fulfill their, you know, their epic, you know, mortal destiny, they stop reincarnating, you know, because they've been reincarnating from one life to another in a mortal form. Uh, but, at some point, they achieve their final you know destiny and they pass on but instead of uh, going on to an afterlife, uh, they get outside of creation and they're they awaken in sanctuary the city outside of uh, creation, and that's where they take on their new role as a fate. Um, there are nine different houses which uh I used basically my life experience and i based on based them on uh personalities you know people's personalities is kind of what I did. <laughs> So I wanted to do something kind of different, you know, instead of the whole good evil thing. Um, you know, so I kind of did a lot of uh, research there, used some, you know, psychology, and I, I came up with uh, these nine houses.
0: Is there a house of carpool? Because I need that house. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, I don't think there's a house of carpool, but uh, you know, you could probably uh, define some one of the houses in that era, area if you want. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, so, you know, the characters awaken there, and what it really does is it expands it expands the whole game. You know, you can start off with a fantasy barbarian. You know, do a whole game like that. You can go uh, then to Sanctuary. Uh, you can play games completely in Sanctuary, which are which have to do with intrigue, espionage. You know, uh, backstabbing. You know, all the all the political intrigue. You know, that, that you can find there. And then in the center of the city, there's a thing called the Pool of Destiny, and it's kind of mysterious. And the Fates get visions from it. And uh, these visions basically tell them like what should be as far as the destinies out there in all the multiverse. And then the fates use it to travel to these different realities, you know, uh, you know, for with different goals based on what their houses are. So you could start off with a barbarian and end up with a barbarian. Uh, who's uh, has cyber tech, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, cybernetic, and uh, and the cybernetic technology is powered by the souls of those vanquish it, vanquishes, you know. I mean, you can really like get very, very, very creative with it because w- one thing that's part of our rule system is uh, we don't have classes, you know. Our rule, our our system is really, you know, I guess you could say, you know, ability and power based, you know. So you can really make anything, you know. There's no, there's nothing there to tell you, okay, it's got to be this, you know. But, your vision. Um, Oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, talk about how the, how the Fate cards relate into, oh, into the, sorry. Of the things that Genesee wants.
4: Sorry about that. One thing you'll learn about uh, anyone with Cuban heritage is we tend to go off on tangents <laughs> and carry on five <laughs> conversations at once. <laughs> All right, let me go back to com- the, the original. Sorry. Yeah, because they're characters of consequence, the, uh, the Fate deck kind of represents that you know, in the game. So, for example, uh, whether it's a combat scene or even an intense role-playing scene, um, they, they do serve a function of initiative, you know, so there's an order to what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, combat, for example, you hand out the cards and everyone instantly knows when they go. Um, every card has a light and dark aspect, you know, which can be activated by fate points. While the characters get a couple fate points off uh, right off the bat. And then, um, you know, as the game progresses, you can get more fate points for good role playing, as an example. But you can use the fade points to purchase the light aspect on the card, which would be an advantage, you know, during the round. Uh, for example, you know, you could get an advantage to the aim maneuver. Or, you know, you could uh, have criticals on, you know, pair, on, um, in other words, you could have uh, dice that explode, like on fives and sixes instead of just sixes. You know, so there are things in the game to give you an advantage that you can use fade points for. Also, uh, the last, the, Game master draws one additional card, you know, after everyone has their initiative in combat, for example, mm-hmm. and that that card is called the effect card, and it affects all the players, uh, and it can be either light aspect or dark aspect, depending on you know how the card uh, how the card faces, you know, when he uh, draws it, and if it's dark aspect, uh, you can use a fate point to reverse that effect for just your character, you know, so th- so this kind of represents in a sense that whole idea that they're destined for greatness. You know, and that's how we get the fake card in there to to do that. Okay. Also and you give given 2 point. at the beginning. Yeah,
0: Is that true? 2 fate I'm points. That's right.
4: Yeah, you get a fate 2 fate points at the beginning of a game session and then you can get more through good role playing. You know, or just having a lot of fun, making everyone at the table laugh or, you know, things of that nature.
0: <laughs> oh, special points for that Tinsian.
4: Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> if and
5: and if <laughs> Go on.
0: No, I'm not going to say it. Go ahead.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I'm just saying that the uh, in in the campaign that we're running for Death for Dishonor, uh, Genesee has already been through this particular uh, Keep of the Shadowfell episode pack once the traditional way. Now she's going through um, again with this new group. And it's completely a free form as it's made up adventure. And she's encountered a couple times where she's even had to sort of pause and look like wait and shouldn't a you know a bar of chocolate have slid down between the two flaming gelatinous cubes in the open I died by
0: cube. he was he was crushed like a s'more.
5: You know, so like great great, gr- you know, paying paying homage to the grimtooth traps, but there there are some times where I can sense the look from her from the other room as I'm talking to this and she's trying to keep from either laughing or going, where are you going with this? <laughs> right. <laughs> and oh,
1: now, time. one of the things that, that uh, I don't know if you touched on this or, or not last, but the, the, whole, the whole premise, I guess, behind the fake cards is it, it, it ties into the mythology in the sense that Um, all these houses are kind of competing against one another, um, in order to define creation in their image, if you will. Um, so when, when the characters themselves are in creation adventuring, um, the fate cards represent the will of these more powerful fates in Sanctuary, attempting to manipulate creation and manipulate events in the game, um... To either help or or or, um, or, dis- or or prevent the characters from doing certain actions, so they'll help them in combat situations. They'll help them. They'll help them or, or hurt them in non-combat situations. So the fate cards really represent the, the the whole chaos that's going on in the whole Genesis multiverse as these different houses um, sort of compete uh, against each other um in order to find creation to th- their own destiny if you will um which is which is a concept that that we're trying to also put together in the adventures. You mentioned the the adventures that we're running in Gen Con, but uh, the three the first three grab-and-play adventures that we're writing are actually very much interconnected. Um, in order to define and really show new players how the Genesis Multiverse works, um, you know, you'll start out in a in a in a fantasy genre and move on to a sci-fi, and and I think uh, the third one will be you'll end up in a superhero genre, and you really are traveling through different multiverses in in a in a centrally connected. Connected, um storyline right following a villain across uh, across different dimensions uh and time um elements so um the whole fate card deck is really tied in um very very much into the game um from a from a uh, i guess a strategic perspective you know calling it outside of the rpg one of the things that 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 we've have found is that people that are um, leaving the industry, if you will, and playing other types of games are really moving towards either uh, or have been moving towards board games and, and trading card games. Those are two things that are going very, very strong still, uh, under growing. Again, basically, we believe because of the whole time and commitment thing. So when we looked at, at creating Genesis, we really looked at trying to merge all these types of games together and, and really appeal to the, the, those folks that are playing, um, you know, collectible card games as well as folks that are playing board games, and really um, create a game that, that appeals to um, these types of markets that, uh, as a way of expanding, um, you know, the the RPG market.
0: I like that idea. I think that will appeal to a lot of people that are kind of more like me, that are used to the consoles or the PC games, but want to get into RPing and... and you know, baby stepping through Dungeons and Dragons has been good, but this might be a good way to kind of get people interested in the idea of it and something a little closer to home that they might be used to a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit about the newsletter. Uh, I understand you have a naming contest going on right now. Uh, tell the listeners about that and how they can perhaps contribute to that.
2: Absolutely. So we're actually looking for a name for our newsletter. Right now it is not creatively called the Genesis Newsletter. <laughs> and... and um, to you know, to register for the newsletter, just go to the the Genesis homepage, uh, www.genesisrpg.com, and there's a newsletter link there. And all you have to do is provide your email address, your first name, last name, and it registers you automatically. It comes out every Tuesday, once a week, and basically you can just post on our forums. Uh, we have a forum thread specifically for this, for your idea for a newsletter. Uh, we're gonna you know we're gonna decide on the winner. Um, Mid September, and in the September nineteenth newsletter, it will feature the new name. And whoever submits the winning name, you know, we're gonna mail a bunch of stuff to them, as far as like, you know, swag or, or prize stuff. Um, so we've already gotten some pretty good uh, responses uh, or suggestions. And the nice thing is, you can you can submit as many names as you want. So if you have a hundred ideas, you know, submit a hundred names. Um, in the same except post, I preferably. couldn't submit names. Yeah. yeah, employees are are prohibited. So <laughs>
0: if you'd like to be an alpha tester how do you go about doing that and do you have any slots still open if a listener would like to try to do that
2: we do have a few slots left open um but we're there they are limited uh basically you can contact me juan at fablestreams.com and there's there's links on the website if you just go to the contact page on the website you can fill that out and just request to be an alpha tester um ideally we like people to have you know diverse gaming backgrounds and run uh, you know currently be running gaming groups where they can actually Read the rules and run this with a group of gamers and they can, you know, um, share their experiences on our forums. And so the best way to do it would just be to, you know, to email us uh, through the website.
1: No, I was just, uh, you can email us at uh, gamers at uh, fablestreams.com.
0: I think this might be a good time to end part one and we will continue with part two on Tuesday of next week. Where we will talk about some exciting topics like the flaw ability, where you can have your character have a detriment that adds kind of a little bit of quirk to them, uh, perhaps an eye patch, perhaps a allergy to garlic or specific flower, something of that nature. And we will talk about uncanny abilities, which are also extremely cool. So wait for next week when we will uh, go further into some of the specifics of the game and have some new Dragon con interviews. Uh, thank you all for being here. You can find them on Twitter at GenesisRPG. I'm going to spell that for you, G-E-N-E-S-Y-S-R-P-G, or at Genesis.com. I'd like to say thank you to, for the last time, actually, to my sponsor, Mapbook. It has been a great year, and I really loved being partnered with them, and I wish them much success on their site and in the future. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at grayareapodcast, at Facebook slash gray Area podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, please email me your questions at at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.